everybody. Dr. Joe Vitale here with another Hypnotic Gold interview, and I'm very excited. It was a lot of work to get this guy to make some time for us because he's so busy being interviewed by other people, including major TV and reporters and uh, print publication and so forth. This is exciting, though. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing David Seitman Garland. David Seitman Garland's mission is simple, to inspire you to follow your passion and pursue your dream career or business. He's a talk show host, a mediapreneur, and entertainer. He is the founder and host of The Rise to the Top, the number one non-boring business show where he conducts behind-the-scenes, in-depth, tell-all interviews uh, with the world's most successful, passionate, unique, dynamic, and creative entrepreneurs, of which he is one of them. He's the author of a new book, which I want to talk about some here. It's called Smarter, Faster, Cheaper. Smarter, Faster, Cheaper. Non-boring fluff-free strategies for marketing and promoting your business. And I've been reading this book, and it is fantastic. So David's philosophy is something I absolutely love. He says money follows passion and not the other way around. I love it. Money follows passion and not the other way around. I've been saying for a long time, money is the ticket. So David is known for his in-depth, highly entertaining, inspiring interviews, but this time I'm interviewing him and we're going to have a, a ball. David, are you there? I am here, and I, 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 love, I love the intro. Very humbling, so thank, I'm excited <laughs> to be here. Hey, it's all you, man. It's all you. Your main website is therisetothetop.com. Is that correct? Yes, that, that, is, that is the hub, if you will. Mm. Uh, www.therisetothetop.com. And your book is already in bookstores on Amazon, Smarter, Faster, Cheaper, right? Yeah, it came out uh, officially. It hit bookshelves. December 7th, um, so it's been out, you know, for a little bit now, and uh, uh, yeah, so they can, they can find out all, all that type of information on the RiseToTheTop.com. Well, you know, what I think is interesting is how you started the RiseToTheTop.com as a website. As I understand the story, and I only have bits and pieces of it, but weren't you just having coffee and just what if talking to somebody? Yeah, you know, it, it, <laughs> it's exactly how it started. It was funny. It was so... I was having coffee with my uh, my friend who's also a graphic designer, and this is funny because sometimes good ideas come out of situations like this. And and I, I had just been involved with a venture um, that was a hockey startup in St. Louis, Missouri, where I'm from. Hmm. And I had this interesting opportunity. I've always been interested in broadcasting, honestly, since I was a little kid. Hmm. Um, you know, honestly, the first remembering I have is is I think third grade where for a report on Florida, I wore like a suit and came out there and did like hockey broadcasting, making up the players, doing it live. So um, I've done <laughs> that's some weird starting stuff. young. Yeah, that's starting young. And, you know, I, with Pro Inline Hockey Association, the story actually falls back a little bit. Um, you know, I, I was interested in hockey, love a big sports guy. And I also got the business bug by that being my first really company I was involved in. And I ended up with a radio show mm. locally show in St. Louis called, and I named it, uh, aptly named Get In Line to talk about inline hockey. And I, I had no experience. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't train to be a broadcaster or anything like that. Um, I just, but I loved it. You know, I was terrible when I started, but I loved it. And, you know, I, what happened was I started kind of realizing that it was something that I wanted to pursue. I just didn't know what way that was going to go down. Uh -huh. So to fast forward in the story, after several years of pro inline hockey, um, it, was, it was just kind of time to move on. It was one of those things where you go with your gut, and, and you know this, Joe, is, is 
working with online entrepreneurs and other people, like sometimes, you know, you got to move on um, yeah. for, for various different reasons. And for me, you know, I, I was just ready for a change. I was ready to do something bigger and I didn't know what that was going to be. And I sat down with, with my, my friend Elizabeth and I said, you know, you know what would be really cool is to do a TV show, mm. <laughs> right? No idea what to do, of course. But what, wouldn't it be cool to do a TV show centered around entrepreneurship? Because I was watching a lot of TV and, and different types of shows, and I just found the business shows to be really bland and boring, you know, with the same types of guests and just, mm. just ugh. And, and so I said, well, what if there was sort of a – a more forward-thinking show, if you will. And the idea started right there, and, that, and that's where the idea really for the show came. And, and I don't know, a lot of people don't know about this out of Missouri, but uh, it actually started as a local television show in St. Louis. Amazing. And you had no experience. This is, you were just kind of brainstorming and daydreaming and what-if-upping possibilities, and out of this came an idea, and you, you said, I'll try it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it was... It was exactly like that. I mean, you know, my, my college degree was in women's studies. You know? <laughs> Wait a minute. Actually, I didn't know there actually, was such a thing. No, I know. Straight white male majoring in women's studies. I mean, there's, there's you know, look for another one. Good luck. But they, they <laughs> you know, my, it, was, it was an interest. It wasn't a expertise by any means. You know, yeah. I, I hadn't trained in it. I wasn't an apprentice for 30 years or whatever to someone. I just was sort of that. I'm a big misshapen ball of clay type person where I'd rather get my feet wet and make a lot of mistakes and try to figure it out and, and keep pushing it forward as opposed to sort of waiting for the right opportunity. Uh, and also, uh, I've always been one to think, like I, like the quote that you mentioned, you know, turning a passion or turning an interest or turning something that gets you going and see if you can turn that into a business as opposed to just a random idea. And so that was sort of uh, where it all got going. And that's really amazing, and I hope people are really paying attention to all the, the underlying elements to this story, because money does follow passion. It's one of the things I preach here. But one of the things you did was so courageously follow your passion. So I'm imagining that a few people listening are probably th saying things like, well, first of all, he knows his passion. What if I don't know my passion? So do you have, either from your own experience or from the hundreds of people you've interviewed, a way to find your passion for somebody who might be sitting there going, you know, I, that's great for David, but I don't know what my passion is. Right, and, and you know, and some are really obvious. Some, some people just know it, and that's just it, and that's just the way it is. Yeah. And some people know it from a really young age. Some people don't. You know, for me, even looking backwards, um, the story makes a lot clearer sense in retrospect. You know, mm. like when I was moving forward, it wasn't like I had this very clear vision of doing broadcasting and, and, and you know, starting a show. It just wasn't, it wasn't that clear. Now it was, right, looking back. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I think is important to think about uh, when it comes to a passion is, is starting, starting with interests and hobbies, I think, is a good way to look at it at the yeah. beginning. And if you're, if you're curious, if you don't have any interests or hobbies, uh, that, that's a whole other problem. I, I think you might want to talk to someone else on that, but, uh, but okay. let's just say, you know, we can bring up the professional help on that one. But, but the thing is, what I try to think about is things that you're naturally talking about or thinking about, mm. things that you're naturally talking about and thinking about. Like, are you, you know, constantly talking about sports? Um, is it football? Is it a specific team? You know, what types of things? And can you write those things down that you sort of continually are involved with or just like thinking about? 
And, you know, it might not be the case that you can start a business on this and quit your job or quit whatever you're doing and make money from it tomorrow. Everyone's situation is a little bit different. But what I've noticed is that a great way to to really turn a passion into a business or whatever it might be is is really starting it as sort of a side hustle, Mm. the way that I call it. So you might have something else that you're doing full time. Um, You might be working during the day. You might be working another company that maybe is making money, but it's not what you really like to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and you can start something on the side that's related to your passion. Like for me, um, you know, I, I loved hockey. And so I got involved in a, in a pro inline hockey league when I came and I was doing all the marketing and cleaning bathrooms and doing all kinds of weird stuff. Wow. But, um, you know, that was a way that I figured out how to take a passion for something like hockey and turn it into a business. And the same thing was sort of broadcasting and entrepreneurship. So, you know, for me, it was a situation also where I I guess I was a bit, um, I don't want to say lucky because I think that's the wrong word, but I was, when I started the show, I took basically all my savings, which were equivalent, like basically my bar mitzvah money from when I was 13, you know, (laughs) pretty much the bar bar mitzvah money. And I had built up some relationships with some local sponsors as a result of pro inline hockey. So being in the mm. trenches of pro inline hockey. So I was able to kind of, I don't want to say raise money because it's sort of the wrong word because raising money kind of implies you're giving up a part of the company or something like that. Right. So I was able to essentially <laughs> take my own money and sponsorship money uh, to get it going, you know, and, and kind of um, that's how it got out of the gates. Uh, but I would say that, you know, you have to figure out what's best for your situation. Right. Well, I think that you've just given some great advice, following your passion and looking at what you're interested in and what you're talking about. I think that's a major clue because a lot of us are unconscious to our own passions because we just take it for granted. And I think your tip there about what are you talking about to other people or to your friends or you, you can't stop talking about, to me, is probably going to be around food, sex, and money. But, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's funny about that that you mentioned that is that there's always this sort of underlying fear that, that some people have and yes, uh, of, of saying that, you know what, let, let's, just use, let's just say it's football, for an example. You're really mm-hmm. into football. But you're saying, you know what, I don't know if I want to turn that into a business because then maybe I'll end up hating football, for example. Mm. You know, that's like one of the fears that I hear sometimes is people saying, well, I'm, I'm not going to like it anymore when I turn it into a business. And, and I think that is part of the game, though. I think that's part of – taking a risk by doing this, um, that you, you know, I see, I, I've interviewed more people that, that wake up every morning kind of pinching themselves because they're so excited what they get to do. And yeah. there's someone that is aligned to passion with the business. So I, I've seen the examples. And so I, I just think that that is a sort of an excuse that, yeah. you know, if you're thinking that you're really going to end up hating it, that might not be the right passion to pursue. Yeah. Yeah, because if you love it so much, if it's truly a passion for you and you're living and breathing it, that shouldn't change because right. you found a way to profit from it. Right, and, and yeah, and you know, yeah, and when you start running a business, there's other challenges running a business and things like that, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you have that, that underlying passion, um, it, it, it moves you through, if you I will. love that. I love that. I've often told people that the key to my own success has just been following my passion. Everything else came along the way or opened doors. But it was only because I was following passion that I've gotten where I am. And that's all I still do today. I'm passionately Absolutely. excited about what I do. And I hear that that's what you are as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. These so people critical. that you've, you've interviewed, you've interviewed hundreds of people. 
and uh, you are a beyond a pro at this. You are just amazing at doing these interviews. Oh, Do you. they all seem to have that passion, or were there exceptions, or was as a rule, did they seem to have that fire that just lit them up, and you know they wanted to go to work and they couldn't wait, and all of that. Yeah, you know, it's different. I mean, I've had many different people. There's always a successful people. There's always a passion somewhere, right? Mm. I would say that there were some cases where um, the passion was very overt, Mm -hmm. right? So, so for example, um, someone that I interviewed, the millionaire matchmaker Patty Stanger, right, from Bravo TV. Her passion for matchmaking is very overt. I mean, you you will not get confused as to what she's into and what she likes to do. Okay, (laughs) so she's a very obvious one. But, but some are a, a little more subtle. You know, mm. it, it, for example, uh, Tony Shea, uh, founder of Zappos, or CEO of Zappos. Yes. You know, Tony, his passion isn't necessarily with the product itself. The product itself is a commodity, right? Mm. So shoes, are, in this case, are a commodity. And so it's not like Tony's, you know, walking around parading in women's shoes, I don't mm-hmm. think. Uh, if so, that's a little weird, but, you know, to <laughs> each his own. But right. What Tony was excited about was sort of building this, like, company culture, if mm. you will, that was focused around service and focused around, uh, honestly, an environment that he was excited to go to work in every single day. Wow. You know, he wanted to get up and be excited to go to work because he had sold a company in the past for more money than any of us, most of us would see, okay? He had sold a, huge, a company for, for a lot of money. And he had that empty feeling afterwards that it just wasn't something that he enjoyed. So mm. Zappos, the way that he sees it, is a company that's going to, you know, essentially continue forever, if you will, where he can be excited to go to work every day and work on something bigger. So some people, the passion is 100% the product. Other, it's somewhere else. Um, but I think that any business that you look into, with the exception of a few needles in the haystack, um, you know, you're, you're going to find you're going to find that passion point somewhere. And if you don't, um, I think that's also sort of a red flag that that person uh, might be in the wrong business and might not end up being successful over the long run, and they might move on to something else. This is fascinating, and I love that statement where you, your observation is that there's passion in all those people you interviewed. Somewhere in all successful people, I think this is the phrase you use. There's passion. Somewhere in each one of them. Exactly. For something. It's just a question of what it is. Yeah. Well, one of the things you say in your book, Smarter, Faster, Cheaper, is there's less of a focus on the product. And I'm, I'm being triggered to ask this question because of you talking about the, the Zappos guy, Tony. And he's not really focused so much on the shoes. Obviously, they've got to buy and sell shoes, but that's not his true primary passion. So in your book, you're talking about the product, am I correct here? The product is not as important as maybe the personality. Well, you know, it's an interesting catch-22 with, yeah. with that. I mean, you know, if you have a bad product, hmm. nothing's going nothing's gonna to help that. Right. You know, it, it used to be you could, you could get away with a bad product. Like you could, you could have something terrible. As long as you had enough money to buy enough ads, you could, you could sell it yeah. for the most part. It doesn't matter what it was. Um, now I think that that situation has drastically changed where the product, you know, has to be something quality. Um, but I also, in many cases, isn't the thing that you're leading off with when you're doing your marketing. In many cases, it's you get to know a person first and then yeah. see what they have to offer later. Um, and, you know, I've seen examples across the board. And I think in a perfect situation, 
in a perfect situation, you're extremely passionate about both. You're, you're passion, passionate about helping people and, and the messaging of, of your company, mm-hmm. and you're also extremely passionate about the product. You know, oh. there's a guy that I interviewed, um, who is <laughs> my Rated X interview, one of them, oh, um, yeah? which, which are rare, but uh, his <laughs> name is Dave, Le- Dave Levine, and Dave Levine is known as uh, Sex Toy Dave. Okay, ah. so you can figure out what he does. Yeah, um, there's a niche for you. Yeah, there's a niche. That is a absolute niche, and he's dominated it. And what's interesting, and, and I struggled in this interview with, with Dave a little bit, is to find out where his real passion was. You know, mm. because it's not sex toys. Okay, that would that 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 be something, but it wasn't. Yeah. And, and you know what it was was it was sort of just this like sort of philosophy of that he wanted to make a lot of money. You know, mm-hmm. and most of my guests were not like this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Dave was sort of like, I wanted to make a lot of money, I wanted to do a lot of it online, and I wanted to figure out a way to do it, you know, and make a lot of money. Huh. And what, you're, what I'm noticing, though, is that I thought there was something deeper there, right? Like I said oh, to myself, well, you know, that makes sense. But for me, the most people that have that philosophy are not successful because they end up bouncing from one business to another or, or to like sort of whatever the latest flavor of the day is, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen that before. Um, and, and now, if you look at what Dave's doing, the, the sex toy business is sort of the back-end business now that's making him money, but he's really trying to put himself out there as sort of a, a business strategist and an and entrepreneurial kind of personality, right? Uh. And what I think is happening here is he's starting to sort of find his true passion and calling, too, that was not necessarily the product. Um, and so I, I think it's interesting to see, depending on the business model, that it may not be the product that's the thing that you're the most excited about, and that might end up being okay. Yeah. Well, one of the things I've been saying for 30-some years, and I was glad to see uh, versions of this in your book and other places, and that is people buy from people they know, they like, and they respect. That is a primary thing. So if you have two different people selling the same product, they're going to buy from the one they know, they like, and they respect. So we're now online and in your book, Smarter, Faster, Cheaper, you're talking about how to smooth online, how to get your name out there online, how to create relationships out online. And I'm imagining that there's people going, how in the world do I start doing that online? How do you make a relationship? I want to follow my passion. Maybe I know what my passion is. I want to make money online. I want to do this. I know that people have to know me, like me, and respect me. How do I get them to know me, like me, and respect me? Right, absolutely, and, and the key word there, like you said, with the know and the like and the respect, too, is, is, is trust, right? Because yes. I think that's one of the key things yeah. online that people struggle with is how do I really get to know someone, right? I yeah. mean, how do I, how do I know this person isn't going to scam me, and, and, and why are some people considered trusted resources and others kind of look like spammers, right? All great questions. Uh, yeah, and those are key questions, and, and I, can, I can share kind of part of my experience and some things I've learned, you know, First of all, it starts with your hub. It starts with your home on the web, your website, right? Mm-hmm. And I see – I'm not only just talking about great design of a website. I'm talking about does that website build trust when people get there? Mm. Because the equivalent that I use it is sort of like your house, right? Is that, you know, you could get people to your house maybe, but if you get them inside and there's no drinks and entertainment and there's no party, they're probably going to want to leave and never come back right, uh, if you're throwing a party. Yeah, and point. so a lot of people throw a party, but unfortunately the party is full of, like, you know, illicit drugs and problems, mm. and uh, people don't want to come back to it. Yeah. And, and so it starts with your home base. Um, as great as social networking sites are and all the things, and I'm, I'm a huge proponent of everything um, when it comes to the online marketing world, you know, 
you can get people there, but you need to own that real estate and make it good. Um, Michael Stelzner, um, another great interview that I did was uh, uh, he's the founder of Social Media Examiner, a big website that went from zero to over a million in revenue in less than two years. Wow. Okay? And one of the big elements he talked about on the website is sort of the importance of both design and content, right? Design and content. Mm -hmm. If you have great content and bad design, you might not get anyone's attention long enough to actually read or watch or listen to the content, right? If you have a, a site that is, is really well designed with terrible content, people aren't just going to want to be interested in it, right? So it's, it's both. It's, it's a great design and great content. So I'm a mm -hmm. believer before you even worry about how we're going to get people there, make sure the house is set up and yeah. make sure it's somewhere that people want to go and, and, and want to come back to. I think that's something critical too. Why, why would they keep coming back? Um, even, you know, people come back to sites that are media driven. People don't come back to sites that are just product driven. Something to think now, about. Say that again. People go b come back to sites that are what driven? Media driven. So what I mean by that yeah. is a blog mm. or a web show mm. or, um, you know, an online magazine or, you know, whatever, whatever types of content that you put out there. Um, one of the big benefits of creating online content is that you get, you know, and I'm talking about content that is free to consume yeah. and, and, and not something that you have to give your firstborn child and social security number up to get. Right, right. Right? I'm talking about something that, like, <clears throat> literally you can get in there with no opt-ins and pop-ups and weird stuff and you can, you can enjoy it. Yeah. And, you know, the, the content, people come back to content, right? People mm -hmm. subscribe to content. People um, share content on all these sites now, right? And exactly. if you if you don't allow yourself to do that, you know, instead you have to keep pushing a product. And this is mm. this is that's the problem. So for example, there were mm. clothing designers that I knew and they were having a real problem with their online presence. And uh, they shall remain nameless because uh, yeah. we don't want to we don't want to destroy people. Right. Um, and and they were having a real problem. And they didn't listen to me by the way and the problem continues. Not that anyone should listen to me because who knows. But uh, <laughs> is so what they were doing was they wanted people to buy the clothes, right? They wanted people to sign up for their fan page on Facebook. They wanted to do all these different things. Mm -hmm. The problem was they just kept shouting at people, join mm -hmm. the fan page, join the fan page, join the fan page, buy the clothes, buy the clothes, new scarf, buy the clothes, new scarf, right? Mm -hmm. And the problem is that gets burnt out so fast that it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, something that I always try to challenge people with is when your name is coming across the screen um, or an email or a phone call or in person, are people saying, oh, no, not, not that guy or girl again? Mm. Or are they like, oh, are they excited to hear from you? And, and you, we all have a list of those people. Like, right. I have a specific list of people that when I get an email from them, I know they want something. Mm. <laughs> and there's a specific list of people that I know when I get an email that it's going to be something interesting. And you know what? I might end up buying something too, you uh. know? And, and I think you, we all want to fall in that ladder category, right. you know? And so uh, what I was trying to tell these clothing designers, and I think this was kind of a good lesson, is that if your website, instead of just being a brochure for your clothes and your fan page just being a brochure for the clothes, and you can say, you know, your Twitter account being the brochure for the clothes, whatever the different accounts are that you have, your YouTube channel being a brochure for the clothes, whatever those places are that you're at, why don't you turn that into a hub of information that mm. people will find interesting? 
you know, inspirational, educational, entertaining content. Now, in the fashion industry, that could be a variety of different things. I don't know what it is. It could be, right. it could be tips on wearing clothes better. It could be, um, you know, the top colors of the season and what you need yeah. to know about it. It yeah. might be um, an interview with uh, a fashionista, right? There's mm-hmm. always different types of things that you can do. And content builds credibility. Not only does it build credibility and is it a relationship builder, honestly, it gives you an excuse to continue to market and promote on these sites. I love it. Content builds credibility. That's a great statement. Uh, Actually, in your book, you say the Internet's pretty simple. It's made up of about three things. The first is content, the second is people, and the third is products. And under content, that covers everything from text, video, photos, audio, and anything else we can think of. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's interesting about it is that one of the um, kind of devil's advocate things I'll hear sometimes is like, Mm. well, I don't have enough time to create content. or I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what's going to be interesting. And and what I say to that is, is, well, first of all, let's start with the interesting thing. If you can't figure out anything interesting to say, you're in the wrong business. (laughs) (laughs) That that is a very obvious but smart observation, right? Like, Like, I hate to like burst anyone's bubble or happy, happy, fun unicorn time. Yeah. But if, if you can't think of interesting stuff that other people will find interesting, other people, anyone, like, like the Internet allows us to really, you know, create your own campfire with the people that you want, mm. you know, that are interested in a topic, not a product, a topic. You know, that topic might be design, it might be entrepreneurship, it might be monkey training, I don't know what it is, okay? But if you can't come up with something like that, that's a business problem. That's not a content problem. You yeah, know, if you're truly need... passionate about anything, whether it's monkeys or clothing or whatever, then you'll be able to talk about that. Right. I, I think the other thing that comes up as a devil's advocate kind of a question is when you talk in your book and you've mentioned it about giving away things for free. And a lot of people are hesitant to do it because they think nobody's going to buy from them if they give what they know away for free. And, of course, my first thought on that is, well, if you can give everything you know away for free in one blog post or one ebook, then you don't know very much. Right, exactly. And, and that goes back to this whole thing that I talk about in the book of having knowledge and expertise of your industry um, as opposed to just going into an industry, um, you know, without a passion for it, right? Yes. And that knowledge and expertise goes back to the people situation. I didn't know anything about my industry when I went into it, okay? But I wanted to learn. I wanted to become a student of the game. I wanted to get better at it. And I think a lot of business owners have a different perspective of more, okay, I don't care about the industry per se. I just want to sell as many things to, to people as I can. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want, I don't care. I'm not, you know, let's say I'm selling, um, uh, you know, I'm just looking at random things around me right now. Let's say I'm selling a mouse pad, okay? Okay. You know, you know, they might say, well, I don't, I don't care about the computer industry. I don't care about, I don't care about, um, you know, technological people. I just want to sell these stupid mouse pads. Well, you know, maybe you're, you're just trying to create a company. You know, you're, you might be in the wrong business there. You know, it might yeah. be a good idea, but you need to have some kind of knowledge in there if you want to, you want to create a content strategy. If you don't, great. Do the things that you normally do. Buy the old ads. Do whatever. But there has to be some kind of um, intrinsic knowledge. And that, again, that, that also builds expertise. So, and that's learned over time. That's yeah. one of the key things. And, well, uh, and, you know, you just see examples of that, um, of just being a, an incredible opportunity now uh, 
to really be able to jump in there and create something of interest. And, and I think the time issue, the other, the other problem with it, the time issue, um, I see that in a, in a similar boat of, of saying it's sort of like, it's sort of like a weight loss program. Well, no, <laughs> better, better analogy. Okay. It's sort of like falling in love. Mm. Yeah. Sort of like falling in love. We all know there's situations, maybe you've been in one, where, and I'm getting married soon, so I can understand this one, um, is when you're dating someone, okay, and, and you never make time for the other person, mm. right? You don't make time. I don't have time. Washing my hair. I've got to go play sports. I'm going to the mall, whatever it is. You never make time because you're really busy, okay, mm. quote, unquote, really busy. Then at some point you find your soulmate or the person that you like, you're mad head over heels with. Guess what? All of a sudden you have all this time. Yeah. All of a sudden you're going to make the time. Great all of a example. sudden you're going out to the, all of a sudden those excuses seem to disappear. And I see that similar with sort of the content strategy um, when it comes to marketing and promoting because it's, it's, a, it's a case of priorities and it's a case of making an effort um, to really, to really get in there and make a commitment to it, and I think that you know it's easy to come up with excuses, especially yeah. on something that takes a little bit of time to develop a following. Well, let's, let's talk about a couple other things. I, I want to make sure I, I get a couple key questions in here before we lose you, and I also want to remind people I'm interviewing David Seitman Garland. He's the author of the book Smarter, Faster, Cheaper: Non-Boring, Fluff-Free Strategies for Marketing and Promoting Your Business. Terrific book at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and every place else that you can get books. And the main website to go to is therisetothetop.com. Now, a couple of interesting things here, David. In your book, you talk about how you wrote one of your more popular articles on your blog, and that's the one that I'm looking at on your blog. It's called 10 Big Marketing Predictions for 2010. Now, of course, we're in 2011, but I think the article probably will stand today. But more importantly, how you created this is useful, I think, because it's going to tell people how to create content, how to do it easily and quickly, and how to also use some social media to help you create this content. Would mm -hmm. you mind telling the, the, the story behind this article? Yeah, so, you know, the 10 big markets. So, background real quick. Yeah. Uh, you know, before that article, so that came out um, in about November, right around Thanksgiving in 2010. Mm-hmm. And until then, my blog and, and, and kind of the online presence really started in 2008, so, so meaning like the rise to the top. So, so realize I've been hammering at it for a while. This wasn't like a, a random overnight success type mm -hmm. situation. It was that I had done lots of articles. I tried different things, different videos, different stuff. Um, and, you know, I do articles sometimes. So um, it was the day before Thanksgiving. I, was, I, was, I went to a coffee shop. I got all caffeinated up, <laughs> wrote this article, hammered it out, posted it. And, you know, I, I don't know why, I just had that, like, feeling that I felt like it was a pretty solid article. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I, I just, like, there was no great explanation other than I just liked, I liked it for some reason. I was proud of it, you yeah. know. And immediately, uh, I, see, I'd already built up a community one by one on Facebook and Twitter. One by one, you know. Wow. And so I, I shared the article. It started getting passed around early in that morning, okay. And then... I had built some relationships over the past couple of years. And this is a critical thing, right? Where, you know, I'd either interviewed them on my show or I'd shared one of their articles or we had a conversation, you know, you, never, you know, all these different ways of building relationships that you can. And one of those was with Guy Kawasaki. Oh, and yeah. I, I, I emailed Guy and I said, Hey, I thought you might like this article. 
um, you know, I didn't ask for anything. That's mm. the critical thing. I didn't say, Guy, can you go promote this article, please? You know? Mm. And, and that's a, str- a problem that most people have is they, they, they ask for stuff, and it becomes really awkward, and it's just not yeah. going to happen. You know? It, it's a karma situation there. I hate that, you know, less than a science, it's a karma. Um, well, I, I use the term karmic marketing all the time, so I'm with you. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm asking for nothing. I'm yeah. not asking him to do anything. Would it be awesome if he shared it? Yes, but I'm not saying it. <laughs> so, so Guy ended up posting it on his blog and putting it on um, uh, All Top, his, his big site, and, and all these different things. And that, along with sort of just the, the article itself and sort of the built-in community, mm. really caused a massive viral effect where it got viewed over 30,000 times, I think, in like a couple days. Wow. Um, it, it went to the top of, of popurls.com. It, got, mm-hmm. it, just went, it just went crazy on the web. It just went crazy um, and, and brought in all these new contacts. And, and something I didn't mention, I might have mentioned the book, I can't remember now, but um, was that, then, uh, that a magazine called from China and asked to reprint it in Chinese, <laughs> which was just funny. And I said, absolutely, if you send me, if you send it to me. So I actually have it on the wall behind me. It's uh, the Chinese article. And I, it, I don't it's really on your website, isn't it? Is it, it on is, your yes, media? Yes, you can see it. If you click on media on the right stuff.com, you can, you can see uh, the Chinese version. And I, love I can't it. read it, but I, I hope it's the same article. Um, <laughs> right. and, and so, but I think the lesson there is that quality content spreads. Mm. It just does. I mean, quality content spreads, but it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Like, it doesn't happen where it's as simple as writing a great post and emailing Guy Kawasaki, and then you just, like, take off to the, to the sunset, mm-hmm. you know? Um, actually, kind of ironically, I, I did take off into the sunset, though, after that article because I had to go to Scottsdale for, for my cousin's, uh, some, one of my cousin's events or something. Yeah. So I actually literally flew off into the sunset. But... See that as it may, um, you know, there, there's a lot of foundational work that went in before that article and after that article. It wasn't like after that article that every single thing I did was magic gold, you know. Yeah. Um, but what well, I think happens with online content, the big lesson here is that if you focus on relationship building and you focus on quality content, um, and you and you focus on a lot of singles and doubles and and you know bunt singles and infield singles, at some point. Uh, you know, you, you might have some of those home run content. And I, I have them on, you know, I can probably put them on two hands right now. But you get that, those home run content sometimes, and it can continue to propel you and build your brand over time. Now, you, you talk about relationship building, and you said something interesting when you were talking about creating this article. You had built up a following on Twitter and Facebook, and you said one at a time. Now, most people, myself included, think, that sounds <coughs> like it's time-consuming and a lot of work. How do you create that kind of a following and create relationships in social media one at a time? So uh, to answer to answer that that statement, it is time-consuming <laughs> and a lot of work. So, so I can tell you that right now. There, there's no there's no um, there's no shortcuts when it comes to this stuff. I mean, there's. It, it, it is time-consuming and it is a lot of work, and it okay. also is massively rewarding, like most things that are time-consuming and a lot of work, right? Yeah. Um, unlike painting your house, which might be time-consuming and a lot of work and might not be rewarding if you suck at painting, um, I think that this there there are massive long-term rewards for this. So for me, I got on Twitter um, October 2008, 
and I've been on Facebook. I was lucky to be – I was actually one of the first 5,000 people on Facebook. Well, that's because, amazing. Uh, but totally by accident. I was Trust me, I was not that much of a visionary by any means. I was on Facebook because I was an undergrad at Washington University in St. Louis, and they were like the 10th school at it. So oh. when Facebook was just college, called the Facebook back in the day. So for me, I really didn't have – I mean, you know, I went from zero – to over 100,000, basically, viewers and subscribers in less than two years of the show. Okay? Wow. And what I did was, was a few different things. One, it started with the consistent content, sharing the content on those sites. Um, for me, Facebook and Twitter are my favorite, and for, for, for no other reason than it, it fits my personality and there's people that I want to connect with on there. You mm-hmm. know? And I, I think that you know, choosing a couple that, that fit yours as opposed to every site is one of the key lessons. Because you can't attend every party and hope to have an impact at every party. You can attend just a couple parties and really make a huge impact. That's the way I see it. So for me, I liked Facebook and Twitter. And I used it, one, to, to syndicate my content, of course. Two, to really ask questions and get involved with people. Mm-hmm. But three, to really try to connect with as many people as I could find that were interesting. Like I would look for other entrepreneurs and other bloggers and, and, and other people in the business space. And I would just reach out and introduce myself. It might be on Twitter. It might be on Facebook, whatever, and say, Hey, I'm David. I do the show. I, I really like this. I just wanted to say hi, you know? And one by one, those people start to add up and those people, you know, maybe later on they become a fan of the show and then they share it. Uh, you know, and the, the science of it was less tactical and more about consistency. I see. It, it was well, consistent. It was like it was like the the you know the turtle and the hare. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of a lot of people on on Facebook and Twitter and some of these other social networking sites, they try to be the hare. And the hare comes on and uses like a bunch of like weird scammy tools or whatever and tries to build up this huge mass of following. Uh-huh. And then loses because they don't have a relationship with any of those people. Boy, relationship. <laughs> and then they say social media doesn't work, right? But let me ask you another question here, because before we run out of time, this is going to be key, because it's on my mind, and I'm sure it is for people listening. So at this point, your show is, is very successful. Your site is very successful. You've interviewed 200 or so entrepreneurs, authors, business leaders, and these are all big names. I mean, you've got best-selling authors, Seth Godin, other ones you've interviewed. How does somebody manage to come out of the gate with no experience or little experience, get a show going, and get people to agree to be interviewed? This right. is what so, I think is going to be interesting to people is how do you get them to be interviewed, especially when you send emails to Guy and you don't even ask them to do anything. Yeah, so, so here's the, the short story on this is that I did not stop, start with the top of the mountain, yep. not at all. Yep. I started with local business owners that I happen to know in St. Louis, like a guy who owned a bar and a business coach and people that were, were not going to make headlines per se. Yep. They're great people. They're interesting interviews. I'm glad we did them. Um, but these were, like, not the types of quality that we were at yet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so when I started it, I just started with people I knew that I felt like I could have an in- interesting conversation with. And then I focused on how can I get people that I don't know yet, yeah. right? So, one, it might be that referrals started moving up a ladder. So, like, someone would be interviewed, and then they'd refer me to someone else that might be interesting, and that kept referring. So referring was one of the key things. Mm. But the one that I did – that was interesting is I just started getting like kind of aggressive in a few different ways. So I built a relationship by using my content as a handshake. And this is what I mean by this. And this is, this is probably the most critical thing. Yeah. So let's just use 
I'm just looking at my list here. Gary Vaynerchuk is an example. Okay. okay. So Gary was a huge guest on the show. I actually flew to – I do most of my interviews now on Skype video, but uh, before we started doing that, I, I flew actually to Wine Library TV in New Jersey, did the interview there. Wow. But what happened was I had to get on Gary's radar screen one way or another, okay? And Gary's a hard, hard man to reach. And so what I did was, is several times I wrote articles about him on my blog. Ah. Several times. I mean, like authentic, real things. Because I loved him. I, I really wanted to talk with him. And I, I liked his messaging, and I liked what he did. I would, I would write an interesting article, okay? I would tweet it and put it on Facebook and things like that. And then I might just email it to him and ask for nothing. Mm. Ask for nothing. Gary, hey, what's up, man? Know you're busy. Here's something cool I did, uh, you know, mentioned you. Thanks for the inspiration, David. Goodbye. Right? Wow. Yeah. I, you know, and this is where people fail also was that I didn't do two of the following things that most people do, and this is, this is a big lesson. Number one, I didn't say, Gary, here's the article. Can you do an interview on my show? Mm. Okay? Right? Because now you have that weird reciprocity thing, and it's like yeah. a little awkward. Okay? Yeah. It's not going to work out well. Trust me. Number two, I also didn't do this one. Send that art. Send that article on day one, and then day two, ask him for something. Mm. Because relationships take time. I can't tell you how many times people have said, like, send me stuff on Twitter. She's an example. Hey, David, I just tweeted your show. Anyway, can you do this for me? Mm. Right? And I'm like, ah. I mean, it, it, and I'm flattered. Thank you for asking. But I kind of going to go punch myself in the face now, you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the idea there being of giving more, more than you're receiving – and that relationships take time. Relationships take time. And the other key thing, the element of this that I think is, is, is number three, so, so kind of um, number one was starting with people that you know and asking for referrals. Number two, using your content as a handshake, right? Mm -hmm. And number three is timing. Timing, okay? The biggest people in the world become much more accessible when they have something to promote. A book, a you know whatever it may be, something new coming out, people become more accessible. Uh. And if you are on the pulse of that, and establish your credibility, which comes from everything from website design to to building a following, right? You will start to get bigger people over time when you can time it. Like I can tell you right now, um, in the next few weeks, even just in the next. You know, let's just call it, you know, here in 2011, you know, Seth Godin's coming back on the show, mm. right? Gary Vaynerchuk's coming back on the show. That's great. Guy Kawasaki's coming on the show for the first time. Wow, uh, congratulations. You know, and the thing is, uh, it looks like it was really easy, and, and in some cases it was, but a big element of it was patience. Um, yeah. It took me several years to get these things done, yeah. you know? Um, uh, Seth Godin, Tim Ferriss took me two years before I interviewed two years. Wow. Um, but it has to be a combination of the giving and then, you know, the timing. And if you can get those things together and kind of remove yourself from the immediacy of things, I think that's how things become successful. And then it snowballs from there. The better guests you get, the better guests you get, right? That is fantastic. Boy, you are an amazing interview here. You've got so much information. Your book is fantastic, but we're running out of time. I wanted to know, uh, what, what do you want people to do as a result of this interview? I mean, they're going to get off the, the interview. You're going to get off the call. What do you want them to uh, take as their next steps or uh, to think about or their uh, concrete points? Um, you know, what do you want them to do next? 
Yeah, well, obviously, on one thing, on the, on the 100% selfish level, you can check out TheRiseToTheTop.com. And, yeah, please and, you know, go to there. That's all a the great interviews. site. They're absolutely free to watch. Um, you know, I interject articles and, and other things like that. Um, and, you know, I hope you enjoy that because, you know, really my goal is to bring you these leaders and these interesting people and tell their stories and, and pick their brains for advice. And I think it's a good way to learn because I think when you stop learning, uh, that's when we all get into trouble. So that's one thing I want to encourage. And, and number two is, is just really be self, you know, introspective uh. as to the brand that you are really looking to build in the long run, what do you really want to be known as and what do you want people to know you as? Mm-hmm. And if what you're doing right now is not that, maybe it's time for a little shift in direction in the way that you're approaching business and sort of like your lifestyle. Boy, that's a very wise tip. Final question for you. You've interviewed hundreds of people. What is your favorite question to ask people you interview? Oh, man, that's a great, that's a good one. Um, I would say my, my, you know, my favorite question, this is no surprise really, is I really like to ask people about what they're passionate about yep. and and also, more importantly than that, not only what are you passionate about, but like how do you live that passion one way or another? You know, is it through your business? Is it through your kids? Is it through your spouse? Like what do you do? How are you living that passion? And, and I, I think that's always an interesting because you get, I get some surprising answers there sometimes, so it's always kind of fun. Well, I'm going to ask you a blunt question, but uh, I, I think I know the answer. Are you living your passion now? Oh, absolutely. You know, and I, and I try to reinvent it and try to change it every day. I, I, I think that, you know, I, I'm in this for the long run. Um, I've kind of found my, I guess, the way you could call it calling, if you will, um, or, or just passion for this, like, broadcasting and interviewing and hosting. And, and you know, I'm going to continue it. It might change forms. It might change mediums. It might change who knows what in the future. But um, I'm going to keep plugging along and, and, you know, be excited doing it as well. Well, your enthusiasm comes through, so thank you, and thank you for, for doing this for the Hypnotic Gold members. I've been interviewing David Seitman Garland, the author of Smarter, Faster, Cheaper, Non-Boring, Fluff-Free Strategies for Marketing and Promoting Your Business. Go get the book, and then go, get, go look at the website, therisetothetop.com, www.therisetothetop.com. I'm Joe Vitale. I will see you on the next issue of Hypnotic Gold.